Well, good evening, everyone. It's nice to see a full room tonight. Thanks for coming out. Uh, a warm welcome to those who are joining us online as well. No my haramai, it's my way of uh, saying, come on in, join us in the lounge. Uh, can you believe that this is our last series for the year at Night Church? Oh, what? Hey, um, yeah, we uh, we're gonna follow the series right through to uh, December the sixth, and on December the sixth, we're gonna have our last worship night uh, called Love and Light, and that'll become more clear as we spend some time in the book of First John, where we're going today. Uh, so I'm I'm excited about bringing this. The thing about the, 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 the book of 1 John, it's a letter, okay? It's called an epistle. We've got epistle up there. Epistle is just a fancy theological word for letter, okay? He does three of them right at the end of Scripture before Jude and then his big book, Revelation, okay? So that's where we're going tonight if you want to know. And I, I love this letter and it was one that we sort of prayed about and thought about right at the start of this year. And it's funny how um, even though we didn't know what was coming this year, God was preparing some things um, before we got there, and I, I love that. I really do. Uh, so we are going to be digging into the short letter. There is three of them. We're just going to focus on one of those, First John, not Second John or Third John. We're bringing all of those things together in one, one moment. Now, as, as I start the series, as I always do, I want to give you some pointers about what John does in these letters. These are the kinds of letters that, well, we like to call them out the gate. It's, it's, it's just so straight up. He, he uses language that's going to offend you, hopefully convict you. Language so strong that I, I, I hope um, it annoys you. Um, he's unambiguous. He's straight to the point. He pulls no punches. It's a provocative word. And I hope uh, you, you get that. It's, it's done on purpose. You see, he's laying down the best truth he can about Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. Because he's, he's three generations deep. John's, some would say, about 80 years old at this point. Okay? He's, a, he's a fatherly figure writing a pastoral letter to the churches that he's been discipling over this time. And he wants to correct a few things that are going on that he's got wind of. And uh, as, you, as you can imagine, these things are written and they're sent out with runners. Okay? So they're sent out to all these different churches. And they're Gentile churches. These are the churches that John is called to. Uh, but it's a pastoral letter at the same time. It's a bit like when your dad comes home and he says something really direct to you. How many have had dad go, hey, cut it out? All right? Yeah? Cut it out, but come here. You know? Uh, my dad was very good at that. Uh, he was a very loving father, but when dad says, hey, cut it out, you know what's going on. He does it in such a way that you receive it. I think, and uh, we're going to come across, we've got a great range of preachers sitting in this room who are going to be contributing to the series, so I feel very lucky to be in a church where we have so many good preachers, so good stuff. Uh, so he's an aged man, um, he was uh, an eyewitness to Jesus, one of the last remaining believers who walked the journey with Jesus, who saw Jesus in action. Uh, he saw his life and his ministry. He had this unique insight as one of the last generation of his kind. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He saw him heal. He heard him teach. He watched his mate die. He, he met him arisen. How cool would that be? 
He met him arisen, and then he saw him ascend. John's the real deal. And when he starts saying some of the things that he says in this letter, you start paying attention because why? He was one of the last eyewitnesses to the things that Jesus did. And see, John is writing to dispel some of the doubts that are being thrown into the minds of, of these believers that are spread all over the place. There's these, these preachers that are going all around these communities and they're peddling kind of half-truths. You see, much like some of the prosperity preachers today, they're going around making some dollars because they're like, hey, this is the form of entertainment. Come, tell us, tell us more about this Jesus character. And what they're doing is they're slowly cutting up bits of theology and understanding about who Jesus is, and it's slowly watering down the understanding of who he is and what he does. And uh, so, these, so John's, John's heart is to try and pull them back and say, here are the deep and important truths and foundations of faith. You see, this distorted truth, it just takes you on a one degree sort of change of course. And most of you will understand this in a plane or on a boat. One degree slowly goes like this over time. And you're slowly completely in a different and wrong direction. There's a great um, little truth that I, I heard from D.A. Carson. He says this. He says, one generation believes something, right? The next assumes it because they're one separation apart. The third, well, they forget it and they deny it. It's a powerful quote. One generation believes something, the next assumes it. The third will forget and deny it. John is three generations deep here when he writes these letters. These are third generation Christians that are coming through and are being taught something that's taking them slightly off and eventually way off the truth that he knows about who Jesus is. And what I love about Carson's quote as well is that the sad truth is that with each successive generation, a story is lost, isn't it? One of the big things about multiculture is that they're looking for the next generation to continue their story, to continue telling people about their whakapapa, about the legendary stories that keeps mythology, whenua, the language, all of these things that keep it alive for them. Why? Because, believe it or not, my mum used to speak fluent Māori when she was at home as a kid. And two generations later, no one in my family speaks Māori. Why? Because the komatu of my granddad, who, who spoke it, he died at 47. I think it was 47. And he, that's all they spoke in the house. My grandmother, who was Russian, had to learn Māori because that's all he was going to use in the home. Two generations later, none of us speak Māori. You can see how this generational thing just happens. From the founding generation to just this third generation, something gets lost. Uh, just think about it in historical terms. Uh, I, what happens... What happened three generations ago? How many of you can remember something that happened three generations ago? And we're talking maybe 30, if not 50 years in time frame. All right? How is it preserved or denied in this generation? Let's think about wars. Okay? I, I ask a bunch of kids, do you know anything about the Khmer Rouge? What's that? Mm -mm. What's Khmer Rouge? We... Older people in the room, we go, mm -hmm, I know who the Khmer Rouge is. Okay? This generation, unless they take history, don't 
don't really know. They can quickly Google it on their phone, maybe, if I chuck it out to you, right? What about political coups? How many of you know the name George Spate? About five hands, yeah. Political coup in Fiji, just less than 20 years ago. What if I said national tragedies? How many, how many know which tsunami took 250,000 lives in the last 20 years? Yeah, there's two of them. One of them was in Japan. Where was the other one? Indonesia? Yeah. All right, so within two or three generations, that's not that long ago, we're talking in the last 20 years, things can just disappear. I think about the Black Lives Matter um, protests that are going on. In the 50s and 60s, that started, right? With who? Martin Luther King. How will generations in 20 years talk about 2020? How will they think about what happened this year? Once we're over COVID and who knows when that's going to be, are we just going to put it in the back of our minds? You see, we understand something about how our internal functions, our, our, our mental capacities, maybe even think about Christian life. How is it that the message of Jesus Christ has gone through 2,000 years, hundreds and hundreds of generations, and today is as powerful and as real because of letters like 1 John. See, the Apostle John is three generations deep from Christ's death and resurrection. Most of the people who are believing, who are hearing what he's saying, weren't there. They're getting second-hand information. And Jesus' followers were beginning to forget and even deny Jesus as the Son of God. And so he writes these letters to address those things. But they address a lot of who we are in terms of our, our walk with Jesus as well. And so tonight I want to talk about us walking in the light. Walking in the light. Okay, that's what I've titled tonight's sermon. Uh, let me pray. Father, as we, as we open your word, as we explore your word, uh, Lord, uh, may people hear you speak and, and hear less of man's words and more of who you are and what you're calling us to as your people. Uh, Lord, may we wrestle with the hard-to-swallow things, the things that grab a hold of us and freak us out. Uh, Lord, this is a safe space, and you've, you've called us into it tonight together to wrestle with your word. I pray for openness of hearts and that your spirit would be allowed to speak. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're not going to focus too much on the first four verses, but I want to, I want to cover them with you because these kind of give this overview that I've just talked about. And they read like this. That which was from the beginning, 1 John 1, verse 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. This is John writing this. Which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Okay, you've got to believe this guy because he's laying out his credentials. This, this we proclaim. And just like the Gospels, John establishes his credibility. Uh, at the GLS this week, uh, as people introed themselves, there was these big long, you know, and they did this and they're this culture creator and da da da. This is what John's doing, right? There we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's the same John. 
Now, he understood the unique mix of Jesus' humanity and his divinity. Now, as we go through the series, we're going to have to wrestle with a couple of theological issues, okay? And uh, we'll get onto that in a little bit, but I want you to be okay with that. We're going to take it slow. You're going to be able to just wrestle with it with us. Now, verse 2. The life appeared, Jesus' life. We have seen it and we testify to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have, what? Seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. We write it to you to take in and do something with, which will make our joy complete. That's what he's saying there. So there's this... Oh, didn't click the clicker. It's my bad. Sorry, people at the back. All right. So there is this thing going on in John's letter, which I want to talk to you about quickly. And I'm going to use this little piece of rope here. And it's called reason and experience. Okay. And the thing about reason and experience, you sort of think, oh, that's two things. But for me, they're, they're two things that are connected. You see, the really brainiac people will lean down the end of reason. And they're right down here. And they're the ones that only ever talk to you about theology. All right. And Jesus is this, and Jesus is that, and da 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 da. The problem that's happened in John's context is the people have come right down this end and said, Oh, we, we, we haven't experienced that. And the fake preachers that are rolling around, they're coming down this end and they're appealing to their experience. The problem is that these two things are connected. A healthy faith journey holds reason, theology, okay, understanding about who God is, what God does, who Jesus is. His incarnation, Christology, big words we will slowly get through over this. And then the experience of God and understanding who he is. These two things can't be, you don't just cut the rope, okay, and wander off down the end because I quite like reason and not experience, okay? And I, I don't, I don't want to go down that end because theology is only for brainiacs and I'm all about the experience, okay? These two things must be held in tension together for a healthy spirituality, okay? Enough of that. Moving on. So, reason and experience. A lot of people have lent into experience at the expense of reason, uh, but they are not an either-either tension. They are a both-and tension. And Christian discipleship must be experiential at the same time as it is a thinking one. One of the things that I love about what Pastor Craig says when you walk in here on a Sunday morning is he says, don't check your brain at the door. I want you to come in here. I want you to wrestle with these things. I don't want you to just sit there blindly and you know, be sprinkled with the goodness of a sermon and then walk out of here and not wrestle with what I'm telling you about. So John's talking about two key things all the way through this letter. He's talking about the denial of Christ's divinity, okay? that he was actually the Son of God. This is what's going around. This is what he's talking about, that he, was, that he wasn't the Messiah. Um, and it's this theological term called Christology, the person in the work of Jesus Christ. And in particular, he's talking about Jesus' incarnation. We may pack that a little bit later. Okay, Big words, but keep them in mind. And John is dealing with this impoverished, understanding of Christ's divinity. <clears throat> so what he's doing, along with the 
reason, and experience is he's going through this cycle. Okay, What he's doing, and you'll see this throughout the letter, there's this kind of circulating. You'll hear this conversation about who Jesus is and what Jesus does a lot. He takes theology, okay, and he says it's not abs- only once we do theology can we can we pick up the ethic of what's going on and move to practice. Okay, everyone just says, "Tell me what to do and I'll do it," and I check that box, and everything's okay. Yeah, we want to do that. What what John's doing here is he's saying actually. Practice is a waste of time if your heart and your mind are not connected to what you're doing. It's just, you're just doing something. It has no connection to what I'm doing. Ethics, all those things that actually make up this understanding of who Jesus is. It's a waste of time saying, I'm going to be a good person if you have no reason for it. Okay? So this is, this is what he's wrestling through. All right, let's move on to verses 5 through 7. Let me read this to you. This is the message that we have heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. Ooh, I like that. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. You couldn't get more simpler. I'm talking about all these theological terms. John just says light and darkness. And then he says this out the gate. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. That's that dad comment. We lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, famous, famous song, famous song. Everyone, people are chuckling because that's a DC talk back in the day. And be in the light as you are in the light. So I want to shine. Anyway, anyway, see, you know it. You know it. Um, anyway, go back to the sermon, Rob. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, God's son, purifies us from all sin. I mean, that right there is a day's worth of theological lecturers at at Kerry College. But the overarching truth is, God is light. Now, Logan's going to do something for me. He's going to kill the lights. Don't be afraid. Okay, there's not a power cut. They're going down slowly. He's going to put a spotlight here. Really simple. He says, God is light, so walk where the light is. Okay? Stand in the light. Walk in the light. Seems really simple way. Until the light moves. Oh, I, I, I thought I was standing in the light. All right, I just, I just hang on a second. Just, just walk, walk to the light, maybe. Stand, stand, stand in the light. You can turn it off. A really simple analogy that he was using. And we go, oh, yeah. But what he's saying is, actually, <clears throat> you can't have light without darkness. Come back to our tensions again. Um, if you find yourself in the dark, walk back into the light. And what he says later in here, and you'll see it coming, is that actually sin, although Jesus has overcome all sin, it remains in the world. 
And it'll always be trying to draw you into the darkness. And the reason why he's saying active, God is light, walk into the light, is because the darkness is always present. Sin is always present and trying to draw us there. He's saying, walk this way as best as possible. You can't have one without the other. Okay? You can't have one without the other. He's saying darkness cannot exist where there is light as well. And you see, when I was standing in this, in this spot over here, and you were like, oh, yeah, big deal, Rob. Nice, good, really good illustration there, deep. Um, this is what John's saying. He's saying, actually, when you present, presence yourself with God, you can see everything as he sees it. He brings truth. He brings reality. He, he shows you what the reason is. He explains. He brings experience, but only as you stand in the light. When you're in the darkness, you see nothing. You become accustomed to it. You don't see beyond it. And sometimes we have to walk towards the light because we are standing in the dark. One of the greatest issues I think that we will face during our faith journey is that we lose the light. Light exposes that which is kept hidden in the dark, makes us uh, aware of it. How many of you have been, crazy people in the room, how many of you have been to spookers in Auckland? Yep, I see a cra few crazy people in the room. Basically, this is a horror show, okay? And they have this cornfield and they have this scary house and these people, these actors, they dress up in horror, like their face hanging off and all, you know, zombies and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and they chase you with chainsaws and blood dripping off them. And you, you have to sign a contract at the start that you don't punch them in the face. Um, but people pay money to do this. It's amazing. They're making a fortune out of it. Um, but the thing is that I always find funny is, imagine if they did that during the day. Because it's always at night, isn't it? It's always in the dark. Why does the dark make everything so much more scary? I mean, most of us don't want to be there during the day either. But these things chasing you in the middle of the night, and then all of a sudden you hear this... <laughs> And then whang, you're getting chased. And people are freaking out and spazzing all over the place, right? If you just turned the lights on, you'd just be like, oh, oh it's kind of lame. Hey, it's kind of lame. Oh, you dressed up, nice makeup. Not, you know, nice clothes. You know, there's some, some crazy person chasing you. The thing is, light transforms things that are hidden in the darkness, right? when we're scared and when we're fearful and when we feel like God's miles away, I wonder if we're standing in the dark. See, God is light. He's where light is and light exposes all that we need to see. So live, Paul's saying, live habitually in the light. Let's move on. Oh, I've put an extra question in there, which is, do we have an inadequate view of Jesus? I forgot to take that out, but it's a good question. It's in your mind. Do we have an inadequate understanding or view of who Jesus is? Because that's what, Paul, uh, what John is doing. He's, he's calling that out and he's saying, actually, your Jesus is this big, and my Jesus is this big. All right, let's move on. Verse 8, verse 8. If we claim... To be without sin, we deceive, deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
so many of these kinds of statements, absolute gold in First John. If we confess our sins, however, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's bringing this truth to light again. If we claim that we have not sinned, as some of these Gentile believers were doing, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Wow. Just, we could dwell on that for a while. And then we go to chapter 2, and we're doing these first two verses. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, so that you will not continue to walk in darkness, but in light. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's the gospel wrapped up there in a nutshell, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. And so he's talking to the members of these churches with this cycle in mind. Do you understand the seriousness of sin, of walking in darkness? I want to challenge that actually this generation does not have a good concept of the seriousness of sin. You know, we've got these passages that we, I think uh, Pastor Greg was talking about last week, actually. Shall we go on sinning so that God's grace shall increase? No. No. We, we want you to understand the seriousness of sin. How do we do that? We have the Holy Spirit that will come and speak, that will put its finger on that which is not of him, that which is in the dark, that which has not had the light shone on it yet. And see, this is a huge thing because true confession can only happen when realization has come. We can only say, God, I am sorry when actually the light has exposed that which is in the dark, that which we fear, that which we've been carrying around, that which is killing us. I want you to understand that in Matthew's gospel, when he says, go and pluck your eyeball out if it causes you to sin. Yeah, he's using hyperbole, he's euphemism here. He's using this big thing, but he's serious. He's saying, better to enter heaven with one eye, one hand, or one foot, then into hell with both. He's talking about the seriousness of sin. And there is a cycle going on here that we must realize, confess, and then walk in the light. This is what these last few verses, I think, are all about. Us understanding the concept of the seriousness of sin. And so my question tonight is, how seriously do you take sin? You see, God takes sin very seriously. Seriously enough that he sent his son to die for the sins of the world. And he wants you to have light shone into those places to understand the sacrifice that he made on your behalf. This is why we meet. This is why we come together. Mark 9's rendition of that same story put a millstone around their neck and they were drowned in the sea. It seems kind of extreme, but why would we have a more relaxed stance on sin? We may take sin seriously, more seriously 
when we take some time to read through the scriptures and understand it a little bit more. But there is a great quote, which, which I found this week. And it says, In the dark, good and evil look alike. And we can find ourselves in a place where we didn't expect to be. Why? Because all of a sudden we've been walking in the dark and, and we thought what was right down this end isn't right. And he's saying, come back more to me. Okay? In the dark, good and evil look alike. I finished with one last little illustration for you, and I can invite the band to come real soon. And that is two of my favorite movies of all time. Okay? Most of you know the one on the right, The Matrix, or my left. Um, but how many of you have seen The Truman Show? Yes, heaps of people. That's fantastic. Um, it's one of my favorite of all time. Truman Burbank, one of the first reality TV kind of uh, sitcom slash movies. Um, Truman Burbank lives in the beautiful Sea Haven. Uh, basically, it's a massive Hollywood uh, studio that's visible from space. It has 5,000 full-time actors. And it was a movie that these two movies here came out at a very similar time. They came out in 1998, 1999. Okay? Six months apart, these two movies came out. And they wrestle with existential reality. Why am I in this world? What does it mean to be a part of this world? Anyway, there's this, uh, there's this director that runs The Truman Show, um, and his name's Christoph, played by Ed Harris. And he uses uh, a really cool quote in that. He says, We accept the reality of the world which we are presented. as It's as simple as that. And so when Truman is uh, in this set, and you, I don't want to wreck the movie for you because you haven't seen it, you need to go and see it because it's a great movie. Uh, but essentially, uh, much like The Matrix, there is this moment where we wake up to the reality that is around us. How do we know that we need to wake up from the matrix, as Neo would say, when we don't know that we're in the matrix? How do we know that we need to wake up when we don't know we need to wake up? I'll tell you how. God shines his light on something. Truth comes to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks into a situation and you go, <gasps> you know, that breathtaking moment. See, in both The Matrix and The Truman Show, they had to leave both worlds behind that they knew. And for us to understand the seriousness of sin, to come to a place of confession, we have to leave behind that sometimes which we like, that we love. I remember hearing from a mongrel mob member who found Jesus, was drawn to give his life to him, and he had to take off his patch. God had told him to take off his patch. problem with that is, if you're a mongrel mob member, you take off your patch, basically. You, you're committed for life. You take that patch off, there's a, there's a big target on your back. You could die. And he took this patch off. He was just a young guy, maybe 23, 24, and he was carrying his patch. He'd only just got it like two years ago, and he, he laid it on the president's table, and he just went, I can't do this anymore. I've seen the lights, essentially. And, uh, and the, the first time ever that someone had been able to walk freely out of that gang patch, they call it the pad, 
when they lift the pad and lift their patch behind. You see, one of the things that we need to try and wrestle with, uh, much like in the Truman Show, is how do we know if we're living with sin if we don't allow the Spirit to reveal it in us? See, most of us close our ears, close our hearts to the things that God might be trying to reveal to us. And I want to encourage you tonight, where I'll invite the band to come, wherever they are. Um, we're just going to take some time uh, in a minute. And I've asked um, a couple of our staff team if they would uh, be available. Monica over here. We've got Eric over here. And I just want you to take some time and allow God's light to shine into your darkness. There's parts in all of our lives None of us are immune to the claws of sin. We're immune from the eternal consequences of the claws of sin. But in our daily walk, we're not immune to the claws of sin. And so I want to give an opportunity tonight for those who wish to, to come to either Mon or to Eric during this time. Um, And uh, if you want to, you can confess to them. You can have them lay hands on and pray with you. If there's something you want to lay down tonight before the Lord, they're there to stand with you. If you just want to do that alone, you can do that. The team's going to lead us, and uh, I want to encourage you to do that. But before we do, let me pray. Lord, as we uh, use Monica's word, linger in this moment Uh, Lord, I pray the courage for some here tonight who you want to shine the light of your love and of your life, Jesus, into their worlds. To shine into spaces that no one else is allowed into and to reveal your love and reveal your power over that sin to bring cleansing, to bring wholeness. And as the letter of John reminds us, we can walk in the light with you. You're inviting us into fellowship. You're inviting us into relationship. But light cannot exist where there is darkness. And tonight, Lord, some of us are carrying that. And it's a burden and it's hard. And I just want to pray tonight, Lord, as we take this moment to linger with you, to worship and to pray, that we would allow you to do that. Father, you are a gentle, caring, and loving Father. But darkness, darkness cannot exist where there is light. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that you would come and you would gently move us more into your way, that we would choose because it's been revealed to us to walk in your light. So we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and do that which only you can do. Bring truth, bring revelation, bring true confession.